Hello, I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi. And this is Not the Beginning, a podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and a Wheel of Time newbie watch and discuss Amazon's The Wheel of Time. In this special season of Not the Beginning, we'll be discussing season one of the Amazon Prime series, The Wheel of Time. Note, at the time of recording, I have finished reading through The Great Hunt, but have not read further. If you have not read Robert Jordan's The Eye of the World and The Great Hunt, please proceed with caution. Warning, this podcast probably won't be suitable for younger audiences, and will definitely contain spoilers. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will be diving in and discussing episode 5 of the first season of The Wheel of Time, Blood Calls Blood. If you have not seen through The Wheel of Time episode 5, please proceed with caution. It's another episode. Yep. Not as explosive as episode 4, but a very solid episode nonetheless. Yeah. I think it had big shoes to fill after episode four. It really did. And it it didn't necessarily do a good job of filling them, but it did a good job of reducing the size of the shoe, if that makes sense at all. That did not make any sense. I've worked 12 and a half hours today, <laughs> so some things aren't going to make sense. But what, but what I mean is that like episode four was this like big thing, and it left a big hole after it. And... This episode did a really good job of highlighting the hole that was left and just saying, we're not going to do this and that's okay. Okay, I can see that. I was going to say, like, it didn't fill the shoes completely. There's still a little bit of room in them. But, like, if you were to run in these shoes, you wouldn't trip and fall and die. Yeah. Like, you have some room to grow into the shoe. Yeah, it was very clearly felt, at least on the part of the Aes Sedai, like, the loss that they suffered. Yeah. Which is impressive, because we only met Corrine last episode. Yeah. And later with Stepin. Like, we met Stepin. We met the two people we lose. Yeah. and In the last episode, but... Nearly all of the episode. There, there's some Rand plot and some Perrin and Egwene plot, but nearly all of the episode is kind of centered around Stepin's grief. And I think that's why it might feel a little bit slower, but that's because it is a slow, it's a slower moment. Oh, yeah. It's slower, but that in no way means worse. Yes. Now, I think the episode was a little worse, but I mean, it's the difference between something excellent and something great. Yeah. And I think that, like, there was there was a lot more that we recognized with this episode, which I think yeah. also might be playing into that. Whereas... Episode four was almost all brand new information. That's true. So it just, it like we were on the edge of our seats because we didn't know what was going to happen. Very true. Whereas with this episode, it half of so the episode, we knew what's going to happen. Like the second. I would say even only a third of the episode, we knew what was going to happen. Oh, really, only the Matt and Rand stuff was super close to the books. The Perrin and Egwene stuff was sort of close to the books. I It played basically the same. They got taken by yeah. White Cloaks. Perrin got tortured. Yeah. But the other third of the episode is, or the other third of the plot lines, because it takes more than a third of the episode by far, is Stepin dealing with the loss of his eyes to die and ultimately committing suicide in, in front of the hall. Poor, poor Stepin yeah. and poor Lamb. Man. So, it was a rough episode for Lamb. Yeah. So when we start the episode, they're... They do something I don't like starting the episode. They did that. I think takes it down a notch. For it me. does. It I'm does. Like, so I... the, the cold open is them like burying all the people after Logan's army attacks and tries to free him, resulting in Logan being gentle, Nynaeve being a, a volcano of healing, and Corrine dying. So they're burying all those people. It's it's kind of sad, but that's not when the real sad hits. Um, the second. Stepin walks in is one of the sad hits. Yeah. Because he's already just so broken. You, you really see the the toll that losing a, that a warder losing their eyes to die has on them. And later we hear Lamb say, like, warders aren't meant to outlive their eyes to die. No, I said I live for hundreds of years and warders are people. Right. They might have, they might live maybe like five years longer. They might live closer to like maximum human lifespan. And I think they're in their prime for a lot longer, too. Yeah. Like, Lan is, like, 
probably in his 40s, right? I think Lan's in his 50s. Lan is older than Moraine. Okay. He doesn't look it, first of all. No. And he doesn't move like it. Definitely not. So he doesn't move like a 50-year-old man. So no. he's definitely like, there's some stuff going on there, but he's not going to live as long as Moraine. No. He's going to live maybe a third as long. And that's if he dies of old age. Yeah. <laughs> he's a warder. He probably isn't going well, to. And it's Lan. He's probably not going right. to die of old age. Um, but anyway, so they, they do the burying and then they're then like on the screen, it's like one month later. And I just, I don't like that. I didn't, I didn't like so many things about it. One, why are you going to do a time skip like that? There's stuff I wanted to see. Two, they didn't even pick a good font. They didn't pick a good font. And like, there's no, <laughs> there's, I, I find that whenever they do that, it's because they have too many different timelines and way, things that they need to meet up. And they also, even, even accounting for that though. That just adds nothing that you can't add better through dialogue or even just costuming. Like, if you had just cut to Rand and Matt on the road, dirty and ragged. Especially looking at how bad Matt is. Matt looks bad. Matt looks bad because it's been a month and he's been corrupted by this dagger for right. a month. Like, you get it. They've, they've traveled. And it's okay to just have them meet up and have them have traveled. The only people that wouldn't really have worked for would have been Perrin and Egwene because they're traveling with the warders. Not with the warders, with the tankers. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe they're clean. It doesn't matter. Like, if you have two groups like that, it matters a little bit more because it's hard to tell how long each group has been traveling. But if you if you had, if you you had just had one group and Matt and Rand, it's like, okay, well, Matt and Rand traveled a lot. The other group probably traveled a lot, too. It's not even that I mind that they put one month later up. I absolutely mind. Like, because if they didn't, I would have been confused with the time skip. Unless, Until somebody opened their mouth. And said, and was like, oh, it's, it's been, been a month. A month. If they would have had to say that, though. Or else I would have been confused for the same reason that I'm confused when we were watching the first season of The Witcher, when I'm just like, when are we? Okay, well, that's just because everything's in a different timeline. That's that's different, or a different point in time. But I think why I don't like the time skip is that it just, it seems like it's done out of, I don't want to say laziness, but... But kind of laziness? <laughs> kind, like, it's a shortcut. And not in the way that the time skip in book two with the portal stones is a shortcut. Yeah. Because I think that also was a shortcut for Robert Jordan. It's like, okay, I could write four months of Egwene and Nynaeve (laughs) in magic school, but that's not going to be as interesting. So, but he did it in an interesting way in that Rand, we were in Rand's head and he did some magic thing and it caused them to skip forward four months. Not that they lived four months and we just are seeing it four months later. He actually skipped through time and then we go back to Egwene and Nynaeve and they've, they've been living for four months. That was an interesting way to do it. Here Whereas just this like, is okay, just fast like forward. fast forward. Yeah. I don't necessarily. Also, the font, it just looked like, <laughs> it's like at least pick like an old tiny font or like I put it on a scroll. I or didn't like, really pay attention to the font. I just mostly have a problem with like, they could have done it through dialogue it and it would have like, been better. It looked like regular old like Calibri. And I'm just <laughs> like, at least like have like a scroll go across the screen being like a month later or like a, a letter with it. Yeah. So just, uh, there is one other thing that I kind of feel like I have to dock this episode for. And that is Rand. There were bits of Rand that I really liked. I really liked him and Nynaeve talking, but it feels like they are trying way too hard to not give Rand a backstory until he's the dragon. That's that's fair. They're not like like in the books we get a lot more of Rand because we're in his head, but a little bit too much Rand. Rand's backstory is not just his relationship with Egwene. Yeah. It's, you know, these things that his dad taught him and books that he read with his dad and maybe his dad's not his dad and it's a worry for him. And maybe that's true I here. I am missing, I am missing that, that like, who am I thing. But yeah. we didn't see, there are a couple things that we didn't see at all. We didn't see the ride back right. from the farm, the ride to Emmonsfield. Emmonsfield from the farm. Yeah. In which... Tam would have been having his fever dream. So we don't know if he had one or not. This is the first time we've really had someone tell Rand, you look like an Aiel. Yeah. So the the thing that I kind of keyed on there, not not with Loyal, who we will get to, because there's some talking about Loyal. 
Uh, but the thing that I that I kind of key on with Rand is they swapped out part of his backstory with his dad for Egwene. When he's talking to Loyal, he he picks up a copies of, or a copy of the Travels of Jane Farstrider, and he mentions that it's one of Egwene's favorite books. And you know he gives a like she Egwene thinks or thought she could be Jane Farstrider reborn, and I just don't like that. Show Rand right now is just a follower on of Egwene. Yeah. He's he's going on this quest because Egwene's here. Almost all of his dialogue is about Egwene, aside from the small bits that are about Matt being able to channel. Yeah, it, a lot of it is Egwene-centric. I think that is a side effect of aging them up, though. Because, like, he oh. has an actual relationship with her now, yeah. and they're having an actual breakup. I definitely agree, and if there were some things... <laughs> that weren't Egwene or Matt channeling for Rand, yeah. I would be in total agreement. Something interesting that you did mention, or you mentioned, like, he's talking about Egwene with Loyal. He never says Egwene's name, I don't he think. He doesn't. I don't think he does. He doesn't. And he just describes a, a woman, basically. And then so I just it just occurred to me, when Loyal comes to the room... With Nynaeve, he's like, I found the girl you were talking about. He thinks that he found the girl that Rand has a crush on. I didn't even put that together. <laughs> I totally, I just sitting here right now put that together. I didn't even put that together. So. That's great. And that, now's a great time to talk about Loyal. I have two things, I have many things to say. This Loyal does not look like I thought book Loyal should look at all. This Loyal is fucking amazing. I yeah. love him so much. I love him so much he, already. He doesn't look anything like him, but I think that helps him a little bit and that he looks so different that he can still be loyal. Yeah, I he's, think... He's that... got the, like, deep voice, although in my mind it was even deeper and, like, just, like, booming and resounding. That, See, in that's my head just... it was more sing-songy, but okay. I think that's because he's a tree singer. Could be. So I just imagined, like, this really nice tenor voice. Yeah, so he he doesn't fit like the the not picture I had of him in my head, but he's so good and he nails like the actor whose name I don't remember at the moment nails playing loyal so well. He just he has completely nailed that like I just am gonna keep talking and I like even though people are not paying attention to me anymore. Thing does loyal have Ogier ADHD? I was just about to say. <laughs> I think it wasn't until I saw it playing out on screen mm. why I think I resonate with Loyal so much. I, it's because he's neurodivergent coded. He doesn't read the social situation. That's true. Whether, Although, I haven't figured out whether it's because he can't read it or literally just can't help himself that he has to keep talking. One is very more autistic and one is more ADHD. Here's, here's the thing, though. But like He reads potentially as neurodivergent for a human. He's not human. He may not be neurodivergent. He may just be not human. That's fair. But that's I think that's why I resonate with him so much. And it wasn't something that I really picked up on no, until he's... watching it on screen. And it was that scene where he's meeting Nynaeve. He's like, Randolphor, <laughs> did you know that Ogier have access to the gardens? And he's like, Rand's like, no. And why do I care? He says it. <laughs> the actor delivers it perfectly of like a, why do I care? Yeah. He's like, I found the girl you were talking about. It was rather simple. And then he just keeps talking and him and, and Nynaeve are already having a conversation. He's in the background for a good 10 or 15 seconds while the focus is entirely on random Nynaeve. And it's amazing. And he, they start talking and he's still going on with his story. <laughs> And you can't really pick up on what he's talking about, but you can just hear him in I the know. background. And it's fantastic. And I just resonate with it so much. Because, like, I've been loyal. Yep. In which I just had to keep talking about a point, And people were already off of me, but I just literally had to say it out loud. So, like, Yep. This loyal... <laughs> loyal has ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> this loyal has the potential to be shaped just as much like a friend as book loyal. Different friend. Different friend. But friends come in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Show just... loyal is also potentially shaped like a friend. It remains to be seen. We've only he's only been on screen for like five minutes. I want more, but he's only been on screen for like five minutes so far. So And he's already had like that just wholesome energy that I, I know. need. Like and the show especially needed or this this saga needs the wholesome energy of loyal yeah 
if Loyal ever dies before the end of before the end of book fourteen, I will ride it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But especially this episode needed it, I think, because it yeah. was so grief heavy. And they balanced it correctly. Yeah, they balanced they balanced a lot of the grief that Steppen feels with lighthearted moments, even within Steppen's story. Yeah. But I think also having like having Loyal and his good heartedness and the first scene we get of Perrin and Egwene after the month time skip when he's just talking to Aram and Egwene like comes up and like jumps on his back because she's just like yeah. having a good time. That like light those light airy moments really helped. Yeah. One balance the grief but also make the grief be more poignant. Definitely. And I think even just like all the different angles kind of added to the like a plot for this episode, which is Stepan's grief. Like you have the the different things got at different points, but they weren't they didn't subtract, they didn't distract. They were just kind of happening concurrently, but not in a way that took away anything from the main plot. And I think there's a certain like we know we talk about we're talking about Stepan's grief, but there's also Wait, there's Perrin's grief. There's Perrin's grief, and there's also uh, Lan and Moraine having grief, not for Steven. Moraine has a scene where she's talking to Alana. Though there are a couple scenes where it's kind of dawning on Moraine that she thinks she's gonna die before Lan does because of the choices she's making. Yeah, and I think Lan has that. I'm an obvious, like, he obviously picks up on it, too. There's, like, a separate, you know, they're grieving for Stepan because Krenne died and Lan's, like, really feeling for his friend. But I think he's also realizing that, like, this is potentially going to happen to us one day. Yeah. Or I'm going to die and you're going to be left alone and that hurts me now. Right. Like... Although I'm carrying I think, that. I don't think it hurts Lan from the perspective of he's going to cause Moraine pain when he goes. Because I think it's it's implied that when a warder dies, it's easier on the Aes Sedai than the reverse. I think so. Not but probably I because don't... the Aes Sedai has access to the power. Yeah, but I also think that like... I think Lan's pain is more that when he goes, he won't be able to protect Moraine anymore. I think it's also partially that, like, I'm going to be leaving you alone. And I think it's not every order and I said I have the same, like, the bond goes way beyond anything that two humans would be capable of. Right. But that doesn't mean that every bond is the same. And I think that, like... Clearly, uh, that, that was a big point of episode four was not all bonds are the same. And, you know, I don't know much about Moraine and Lan's how they became bonded, but we hear Steppen's story about how, like, they became friends beforehand. Right. Or, you know, he met Corinne and she gave him the honor of being her friend, which is just, like, yeah. knife to the heart. Thanks. I, I like that and kind of touching on some of the stuff from episode four again. I liked the, like, difference that we get. Because we get, like, a full spectrum of Aes Sedai warder relationships. We have Alana and her warders, who are very much romantically involved with they're like everybody. In, they're, like, in love. Uh, and then we have Moraine and Lan, who are partners. And we have Corrine and Steppen, or we had Corrine and Steppen, they're both dead now, who were partners... But there was clearly a senior partner there. Kareen yeah. was like the the captain, and Stepan was the lieutenant. Trusted, valued, but not an equal. And I think that goes. I think his story about how he met Kareen goes into that because he's like, I didn't feel worthy of her. I didn't know why she wanted to be my friend, but she gave me that honor anyway. Then right. she insisted on me being her warder, so I had to become worthy of her. He always felt this imbalance between them. And right. I don't think that's there with Lan and Maureen. No. And like you say partner, I don't think that there is an English word to describe no. Lan and Maureen. No. They, they go way past partners. They, they really do. And, I mean, again, kind of super credit to Rosamund Pike and Daniel Henney because... They're conveying it so they're well. They're conveying it so well. And, like, down to the, like, the almost imperceptible nods for communication. Yeah. Like, you, you watch them and it's like, oh, shit, those are two people who really know each other. Yeah, they just, they're so in sync and they care for each other on such an in-depth way that, like, watching Stepan go through this is affecting them not only for their feelings for Stepan. Because yeah. I think Lan is truly, like, feeling 
yeah. for his friend. But there's also this like, I'm carrying the weight. I'm trying to help my friend carry his weight. But now I've got this like impending, yeah. oh shit, this could happen to me. Yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Because Maureen is I, not making good choices. Maureen is making, I think Maureen is making, she's making good but not safe choices. Yes. She's not making good choices for someone who wants to outlive their order. Right. <laughs> like, in her mind, it's the end of the world. It's time to make the hard choices. Yeah, because we get that line with Alana that, like, you know, there's more dragons, there's more false dragons popping up. Right. That means the end is coming. And then we get her saying to Maureen again, like, you're not, you haven't been in the White Tower for two years, but you have two very powerful enemies here. Referring to Leandrin and Swan Sanche, the Flame of Tarvalin, the Watcher of, uh, the Watcher, the Keeper of the Seals. And her lesbian lover in the nighttime. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait for some quality soiree. It's going to be fantastic. I need Maureen to have a lover in the nighttime. So do I. (laughs) She deserves it. She puts in hard work. She does. So the other plot line here that really happens in depth, there's Matt and Rand stuff. Matt has the dagger. Rand thinks he can channel. Matt thinks he can channel. They see... They want you to think Matt can channel. They see... Uh, Logan. Logan come in, Who? and Logan like locks on to the two of them sitting up in a tower and just starts laughing like a crazy person yeah. because he is a crazy person. And mm-hmm. Rand's like he's like Rand's like super lasered in, and Rand is just like looking at Matt like, "Are you okay, bro?" Yeah. And I think the camera like focuses in on Matt. They really want us to think Matt can channel. I just don't like I. I really don't know what I would think if I didn't read the book first. I don't know either. I have a friend who has not read them but is watching it. And when I talked to him earlier, he had not seen episode five, but he had seen episode four. He thought that Matt was being corrupted by the dagger. I, I want to ask him what he thinks after this episode, where like yeah. they're, they're really like, hey, look, Matt can channel. He definitely can channel. Because as Logan's looking at them, it, it zooms in, the camera like zooms in on Matt. Yep. Not on Rant, on Matt. <laughs> if Logan is lasering in on them because he thinks one of them can channel and is the dragon reborn, he was lasering in on Rand. Yeah. However, cinema. There's another reason that will be revealed later. Um, why he was lasering in on Rand? Why he could be lasering in on either one of them. Is it a future book spoiler? A minor, minor, minor one. Do you think it's going to be... Important? No. Or no, do you think it's going to be done in the show? Yes, I think it will be. I do don't know Do you think that's going to happen this season? I'm it, asking these questions it for... It might. It might happen this season. There are a couple of other characters who it might happen to. Okay. I'm asking these questions for those of you who have read farther than me and might want to know, yeah. <laughs> know thinly <laughs> veiled will musings on future things. It might happen. <laughs> there are a couple other characters who it might happen to. Okay. But in the like in the scene, it seems that like he thinks one of them is yeah, and they both think it's Matt, and they both think it's Matt. They're like, "Hey, Matt! Matt wants Rand to pro- them. Matt wants Rand to get them to promise each other that they're not going to let themselves become like Logan. Really, it's Matt saying, "Hey, Rand, if I get too crazy, kill me." Basically, and then Rand's like, "You'll do the same for me, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." <laughs> And that's basically the important stuff. Rand gets angry, not Rand. Matt gets angry at Nynaeve. But, but then immediately, happy. like... It's the reverse. He's happy that Nynaeve is there. And then she tries to touch him and, like, examine him because she's a healer. And it's like, don't touch me, bitch. But then he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, it's okay. And then sleep. we get Nynaeve's story time about how she channeled for the first time, but didn't actually say that because she didn't know she did. Yes, we get that story of her healing Egwene for the it's first time. Basically unchanged, I think. Yeah, and it does make me like. It's the focus has shifted a little bit on Gwen being unbreakable and not naive healing her. But if you know you're a, a book reader, you will realize that like that is the yeah. first time that she channeled. Yeah, and and it also works given the, what Egwene is going through in tandem. <laughs> yes, which is. You know, they get taken by the White Cloaks. Yeah, this is this is where they get taken by the White Cloaks. Perrin does not kill two White Cloaks, which is gonna have some impacts down the line. Yeah, I think so. Because, like... White, I mean, they don't have as good... All of the White Cloaks don't have as good a reason to hunt him anymore. And this is where I have a show theory. So, at the end of the White Cloak thing, Perrin wolfs out, has the golden eyes, and is staring Questioner Valda down. And, long enough for Egwene to stab him. Long enough for Egwene to stab him. And... 
that's clearly where the white cloak hunting thing is going to come into play because Vault is going to start hunting Perrin because he thinks he's Shadow Spawn. And he's going to hunt Egwene because she stabbed him. My theory, I could be wrong, is that Jeffrey Bornhold is not going to die. He's not going to die as a result of Falma, and it's going to lead to a split in the White Cloaks where you have Bornhold White Cloaks and Questioners. You have severe but generally okay people and religious zealots. I can see that. I cannot say whether or not I agree with you because I have not read any books past Bornhold just died. So <laughs> True. So I don't know what the repercussions of that would be and what that would mean. So Very true. But I think that it and I can't say what I would think about the, you know, factions inside the White Cloaks because I don't know if one that already happens later on. I don't know, you could be misleading me somehow. You tend to do that. I have no idea. It's an interesting theory, though. That, that, that's my theory. So, kind of starting at the beginning, we, we've done the end of that, of, of how we get to that theory. Can you tell both of us have ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Perrin and Egwene storyline starts with them traveling with the Tinkers. They get they meet some White Cloaks outside of the White Tower. The time skip has them all conveniently arriving at the White Tower at the same point, despite Moraine and friends traveling half a day in the wrong direction. <laughs> Oh, you mean like the convenient time skip in the Great Hunt that yeah. has everyone arriving at Palma at the same time? At least that's there's magic involved there. It's more plausible. Travel times aren't involved. That's, no, it's fair. I understand why they did the time skip. I just don't like how they did it. <clears throat> right. So they run into some white cloaks, and we actually get a good a good scene here about the Tinkers having like true conviction in the way of belief, where their Valda uh, sees Egwene and Perrin is like, "Bring me those people." The 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 Tinkers are like, "No, if they don't want to, we're not. You know, we're not going to bring them to you. They've eaten and slept with us, so they belong here if they want to be here." And they like link arms and form a chain, which is very very ineffective. Like they're not even forming a circle. <laughs> No. They're just, like, forming, like, a small mass of people, and the White Cloaks have horses. They are blocking the whole road, and so are their carts, so they'd have to go into the woods on foot. They would, because they. Oh, no. <laughs> because Perrin and Or go around, which they end up doing, because Perrin and Egwene run into them with right. Aram. But Aram's like, let's go. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to get you to someplace safe. Yeah. Aram, uh, anyway, so when they do that, the, the White Cloaks start beating the Tinkers. Uh, and the Tinkers do not flinch or back down at all. Nope. He, like, punches Illa in the face. And she's, she just, like, lifts her head up and is like, do it again. <laughs> Which is just badass. It is. It I, is just I, so, I really, like... I, the Tinker plotline is not my favorite, but I like how they've expanded the Tinkers. Or, at the very least, made them more, like, solid. Yeah, they've expanded upon them Illa in a way. has, like, tested conviction in the way of belief. Yeah. It's not, in, in the books, it kind of comes across as this, like, well, they've never encountered anything that would require them to give it up or test their beliefs in a, in a true sense. These tinkers have that. Especially because they also have that we leave at 20 and then decide whether we want to come back thing or not. Yeah. It's another test of like exposing yourself to these other things that you could possibly believe and then choosing the way of belief. Yeah. So there's that and I, I like it. I like that they get in the way and they get harmed for it. No, I don't like that they get harmed. I like that they have conviction. Uh, Aram also mentions as they're running that White Cloaks are bastards, but they're not going to kill the traveling people. What use would there be? Right. I think it would just like, there'd be no point. Right. And it would probably cause unrest in the kingdom. Yeah. It'd be like, really? Like, you killed a tinker. Yeah. Did you have to kill them? Like, you're a white cloak. They're not fighting back. Right. Like, like, just like, if you need them to get out of your way, like, conk them on the head, and then they're like, why'd right. you have to kill them? Right. But eventually, Perrin and Egwene get captured. Aram's knocked unconscious. They're brought to the white cloak camp. There, there's a rather uncomfortable scene where Egwene gets washed. Yep. It it's is creepy. It is a level of unsettling and violation However, there is not any, like, sexual component to it. There, there's a fine line here. I, I think that there, I mean, there's inherently a sexual component to it. She's naked. But yes. I think that it's made very clear that she's not in, she's not, like, in danger of being raped. Their, their actions are not sexually motivated. They are right. just 
you've been traveling and you're going to be meeting with our... And also she maybe can channel. And so we're just giving... She's just, a witch. We have to clean the witch. Yeah, we have to clean the witch. So it's not at all like... There's no sexual motivation there. Yeah. Uh, and like even... That doesn't like, make it any less violating. Right. And, and the way it was sh- shot, even like you, you don't see any any of her bits. Nope. Like it's very clear that she's exposed and uncomfortable and in a bad, bad, bad situation. But they shot it in a way that made it clear that like that's not what's happening here. No, it's just the like being taken down yeah. to like take all of your protections are taken away from you right. and scrubbed away. Yeah. Cuz and they're not like scrubbing her very softly either. They're no. using like thick bris- they're using like thick brushes right. and and they they comb out her braid. That too. And then they take her to a chair and strap her into the chair and Balda eats creepily. Yep. We get without sleeves. Where where are his sleeves? They're going to get bloody. He's doing torturing. Everybody knows you torture without sleeves. I just, like, I get that all clothes back then had detachable sleeves. Like, I know this, but, like, <laughs> where is his shirt? Like, are you just wearing a doublet with no shirt on underneath? What is happening? Costuming-wise, I have questions. <laughs> Did we just need to see Volta with bare arms I, and a vest? I guess. I didn't need that. But I guess, uh, yeah, the sleeves would have gotten bloody. But he didn't get the... Roll them up. Well, they're like armored. One of his arms is like armor. Again, why is he not wearing a shirt underneath <laughs> it? I have costuming questions. That's fair. <laughs> anyway, so they strap Egwene to the chair. They bring Perrin in and they like strap him over some torture device. And basically the premise here is that they think Perrin is Egwene's warder. Yep. And so they're going to torture Perrin until Egwene channels. And eventually Valda gives them a deal. Perrin dies, which means Egwene can't channel. Or Egwene channels and she dies, but Perrin lives. He's going to kill both of them. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he would have killed both of them. I think he would have because she's like, you know, you can't kill me. I can't channel. And you're a white cloak. You can't kill a girl who's done nothing wrong. And then he says, what makes you think I hold up to my oaths? That's fair. He literally tells you. I think he was just bluffing. I think I think uh, somebody like Valda needs good reason to not hold up to his oaths. Like I, I think he won't keep them blindly because they're an oath. I think he'll need he would need a good reason to. Either way, he's a bastard. Yep. We do get a side answer to the hands thing. Yeah, he's basically just like, oh, you know, a witch told me once that you don't actually need your hands. It's more like a crutch. I take them anyway. Right. Which, Which makes me think that like a strong like a strong Isodai and a strong channeler would be able to break away from him. So maybe he's just picking weaker ones somehow. Maybe he is. He has to have some other way. Like he's picking weaker ones and he takes their hands and then they can't channel mm-hmm. because they're like they just don't they've been using they've only been using their crutch. But yeah. I think someone as strong as like Moraine, if her hands were incapacitated somehow, she'd probably still be able to channel. Right. Egwene able to channel without Strip. using her hands. She, she does would. use her hand to flick a fireball at him, but... It's in the palm of her hand, so that makes sense. It's in the palm of her hand, and it's a distraction. Because she's doing something else. Yeah, it's it's weak. It, like, fizzles out when it hits him. Doesn't really scorch his clothes, even. No. Like, it's it, real weak. Yeah, it's real weak. And, I mean, if there's a fireball in your hand, it would honestly be weird to watch it just jump from your hand towards someone. Yeah. Like, if you have a fireball in your hand, you gotta throw it. Yeah. But she uses the distraction to burn Perrin's ropes. Perrin wolfs out. He's been wolfing out a lot of the scene because he's being tortured. And so he's going wolf yeah. to kind of protect himself. We did skip over something that happens before that, which is Perrin and Egwene have a little talk. That's true. Perrin reveals to Egwene that he killed his wife. Yep. And Egwene's just like, I'm going to channel so that you can live to forgive yourself. Yeah, she's like, this is, it sucks. It's but still not your fault. Still not your fault. Yeah. I, it, I, it was a nice moment. Um, that actually, I think, had a little bit of a hint of the Perrin Egwene, like, shippy energy from the first book. I don't not, think so. Not as much because it didn't, um, it kind of came out of nowhere. Although I did see an interview where uh, the actress who plays Egwene, Madeline Madden, said that the reason for Perrin's relationship trouble was that Perrin apparently used to hold a candle for Egwene. And that's why him and Layla were having trouble. Apparently, according to this one interview that I didn't read. 
I just saw I just saw things about misinformation starts here, apparently. I still wanna know what was up with Layla. What was up with Layla? We need an answer. Like I need why it. were they having trouble? Yeah. Why did it look like she was gonna hit him with a hammer? Right. Like we've basically gotten confirmation that she's not a dark friend, right? I think so. But like she's still sus and the whole thing is sus and like Yeah. I need and like I just want there to be a better answer than they introduce her to kill her. Like right. they can give her all the backstory in the world, but she's not a character anymore, she's dead. Yeah, and I just need to like I need there to be another reason they created her other than they needed him to To kill someone. To kill someone. Yeah. And like there are so many other existing characters you could have chosen. Right, right. Like one of the Luhans. Yeah. Not all's bet. No, because she would just smack him the frying pan and kill him. <laughs> but I mean, if it was the same situation, That's it's true. actually unavoidable. Like That's true. If she is indeed not a dark friend and she really was just waiting to see if he needs an assist, what have happened to anyone? That's Even true. Even Alsbeth Luhan, who we respect in this house. That's true. We haven't seen her since. We still respect her, just in <laughs> case she comes back. She killed a trollic with a frying pan. <laughs> So I think that was actually kind of the three main... There's a lot of, like, Moraine and Lan and Steppen stuff. And there is, you know, the ending of the episode. Which... Yeah, actually, we should talk about that a little bit. So Steppen goes to Nynaeve and says that he's having trouble sleeping, and he wants some he's... herbs. I mean, he's she's been giving him tea this entire time. Yeah. <clears throat> and so she gives him a packet of herbs to help make a tea to sleep. And then we get a delightful, although sort of macabre in hindsight scene with Lan and Steppen kind of like having bro time. Yeah, they're like, talk, he, you know, Steppen's saying that maybe once he's bonded to Alana, like, yeah. things will be, he's like, but I've never been with a man. And Lan's like, two men. <laughs> <laughs> the it's way good. he delivers that line is just, just a fantastic line yeah. moment. It's like, yeah, much less two. Steppen <laughs> gives Lan shit about Nynaeve. Lan's like, what makes you think they'd want you? Yeah. <laughs> They're having, like, bro talk. And it's, it's good. it makes me even sadder. Because, like, Steppen is the only character besides Moray we've seen challenge Lan enough to be like, what's going on? Yeah. Talk to me. Yeah. And Moraine doesn't force it too much because she knows Lan, but Steppen's right. like... Well, she can also feel what Lan feels. Yeah, so she doesn't need to ask him. But sometimes, even if you can feel what the other person needs, you need that person to say it. That's true. And that's what Steppen's trying to do because he's like, I can, I have eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can see how you feel. Yeah. And then Lan's like, nah, I'm not talking and about like, this. It's a, it's a real conversation, but there's also an element of he's trying to distract Lan. Yeah, he's biding his time for him drugging Lan to kick in. Right. Because he puts, like, the whole packet of tea in Lan's drink and knocks Lan out for the night. Yep. Lan wakes up, realizes what happened before he gets to the body, runs out, runs to the hall, and sees Steppen, who has stabbed himself in front of the hall of the tower, and in, in this hallway where there's statues of, like, legendary warders. Yeah. I do kind of want, like, I don't need an in-show answer, but I'd like to see if there's, like, a behind-the-scenes. Like, who are they? Like, and why did he pick that statue? Because mm, okay. he is in front of a certain statue. So, like... He is, I... Because if it was the hall, like, he could have just been in the middle of it. Like, if it was all the warders, he just needed to... But, like, it's a specific statue. Yeah. So I'd like to see if, like, the showrunners had, like... I think there is an answer. I am not confident enough to really see say it because I don't remember the name exactly but there's they there is talk of a legendary warder and that's who I think that it is yeah I just that's just a question I want yeah like we a... will have that legendary warder mentioned in book three hmm. okay and there's a short on him for like episode two or something two or three okay which I hope doesn't like it's it's a specific story and we get told that story in episode or not episode three. Book three. We get told that story somewhere in book three. And I hope that that scene being in a short doesn't mean that we miss out on a relevant scene from book three. Especially since the way to watch the shorts is so convoluted. So dumb. Different to... conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so so he finds Steppen and then we kind of like cut pretty quickly to the funeral. 
And there are a couple things that I really like about the funeral. Everyone there is wearing white over their clothes, except for Lan, who changed. He changed into his funeral whites, which is similar to the funeral whites that Stefan was wearing, but still in kind of the same Lan cut, which I think is interesting. It's clearly Borderlander style. Yeah, and Stefan's were clearly his people's style. So yeah. it's it's it is it's an not interesting just like bit of these are that white is the funeral color in Randland. Like for Western culture, black is the funeral color. For yeah. Eastern culture, it's generally like white or something that's not black. Yeah. An interesting commentary, I think. I think so. And in the funeral, Lan's kind of act. Lan is basically a designated mourner. The thing that he's told to do is release us of our grief. Mm-hmm. And he's symbolically taking everybody in the room's grief. And letting himself, like, he's just basically letting himself have all of the emotion. Yeah. And it's think, not just his, it's everyone's. And I think that's just a... I think there's a little bit of a feedback loop going on, too. Because it centers on Moraine being upset. Like, she gets steadily she sees, more upset. She does. And there's also, like, because we see uh, Nynaeve right behind her. And we so, like, there's a shot where both Moraine... Nynaeve and Alana. I'm, I, I don't know. You're I just talking I about, just, about Nynaeve. <laughs> I'm just talking about Nynaeve. I did not even notice Alana. But because the, the shot that I'm talking about, we see Moraine, and mm. they're focusing on Moraine and her feeling Lan's pain, but we're also seeing Nynaeve feel for Lan as well. Yeah. Because she's watching him cry, right. and she starts to cry. Yeah. And, like, and it, it's just this, like, interesting moment of, like, these two women who care deeply for him. Yeah. And Nynaeve has an extra element of she also cared for Stepin. Yeah. Like, you know, she's feeling the grief of her own grief over Stepin, realizing that she kind of partially played into... Yeah. And she's a healer. She couldn't help him. Yeah, she couldn't help him. She tried to help him, and that's kind of the way he was able to actually do what he did. Yeah. She probably knows. She probably does. Even if Lan would never tell her. Right. But she's but smart. How, how else are you going to pull it over on land? Yeah. Like, there's no way. Yeah. And it's just this interesting moment. And then we see, like you said, the feedback loop of, like, Moraine is sad for Lan. Lan is sad. Lan feels Moraine's sadness for him, so he's sadder. And it just keeps going yeah. back and forth. But I think also it shows that, like, Lan is very empathetic. I yeah. Think he's kind of an empath. and. That's shown throughout the episode because, you know, he's feeling he's feeling think... so much for Stepin. And you can see his I'm... grief for Stepin when, in every interaction with him. And then he has this... I think that that's true, but I think that there's something else a little bit larger at play here, which is how very tight-knit of a community of warriors are. Because even... Ivan and Maxim, Alano's murders, are we, we we don't get as much of them because they're not focused on. But even then you can tell that they all know each other very well. Yeah. And they all have this kind of like familiar ease. They're a family. And that's I don't remember which one Ivan or Maxim that said it, but like, you know, they're they're getting Stefan ready to have his funeral for Corinne, putting her ring back to where it's supposed to go. I also need more on that. Like, why are we putting rings in lava? Yeah, I'm interested in that. You know, they're getting him ready and they're all talking and it's these these three people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ivan yep. and Maxim being there makes sense because they're trying to convince him to bond to their Aes Sedai. But then yeah. there's Lan, yeah. who's Lan's dad. Dad, yeah. dad Lan. They're definitely acting in a more, like, an almost brotherly way. And they talk about, like, the tower gave me the first family I've ever really experienced. And so you really get this yeah. bond between... And actually, something I find very uh, very ironic is that the, the warders see themselves as brothers but don't acknowledge it. The Aes Sedai call each other sister and do not act like it. Yeah, yeah. Because we have a couple of scenes, and there's not a huge amount worth getting into now, but we get a couple of scenes of like Aes Sedai politics with Leandrin and Moraine. Yeah, they have, a, t- they have a talk about... They're clearly... Talk about Nynaeve. Very hostile towards each other. Yeah, they're trying to be like... Although it's it is very amusing that like Leandrin is very hostile towards Moraine, and Moraine's just like I don't even know who you are. Yeah, not no, like I, not actually. She's not actually pulling a Thanos, but she she is basically just like why are you? I don't care about this. Yeah, she's like that. It's like in high school, you know, when they're like ah, oh, like people hate each other in high school, but, and Moraine's just that random person. that's like I don't even care about you. Why do you hate me? 
Right. Like, what did I do? Right, but it's clearly a very <laughs> Which just makes Leandrin even matter. And even, like, Alana. Alana is very friendly, but she's not... She's just not actively trying to manipulate Moraine. She's just trying to be friendly with Moraine. Yeah, they don't have, like, a deep bond. They have more, like, a... And it is basically said that, like, it could be because Moraine just hasn't been there for two years. Like, her room is barren. Yeah. It could be that Moraine hasn't been there for two years, but I don't think that's the case. Even in the show. I know it's not the case in the books. I don't think that's the case in the no, show either. Alana's because... talking about Leandrin behind her back. Right. And, like, there's a lot of just talking about people behind their backs between the eyes that I. And that would not... Ha- I don't think that would happen with the warders. If they were talking no. about someone and that person wasn't there, well, it's have, out of pure concern. They have an advantage in that there are no red warders. <laughs> Most of the warders are green because the greens just have more than one warder often. And none of the eyes, none of the other Ajas do. But also, like, they, ju- they just have a different bond. Yeah. I think... And I wonder, is it just that they all understand what it's like to be bonded to an Aes Sedai, so that gives them common ground? Uh, or is there something... Like, what I want to know is between two warders who are bonded to one Aes Sedai, is there a special bond between those two warders that wouldn't... Like, is there a bond between Ivan and Maxim that it is different than their relationship to, like, land, per is se. It, is it a multi-way, are they multiply connected, or are they just individually connected to the same piece? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the latter, but I think that just being two points on a graph give you a stronger relationship than a, a point on one graph and a, se- a point on a separate graph. Even if they're the same? Right. But I, I do think that it's it's two things. I think that being bonded gives you a, a different relationship with other people who are bonded, even mm-hmm. if you are not bonded to the same Aes Sedai, because you, you, know, you understand what it means on a much deeper level. Yeah. And I don't... And, and then I, I don't... think the other thing is that most of them train together. That too. Like there's, fighting there's a, together There's helps. a training bond on top of the warder bond. Yeah, it's like... You know, I, in college, like, I just felt like a bond between my people who were in Orgo 2 because it was, like, a killer class. And right. so, like, we all got out of it together. So I could see him in the hall. I was like, I don't remember your name, but we survived organic together. So. Right. <laughs> so that was the Aes Sedai politics. There's not a whole bunch of random Matt stuff. No, not really. The Egwene and Perrin stuff is impactful, but not very large. The interesting thing I do have to say about that is Perrin does not kill any white cloaks nope. and the wolves. The wolves fuck some stuff up. Yep. And it's not naive freeing them. It's the wolves. Yeah, it's the wolves that are freeing them. Yeah. Which, I mean, we don't get wonderful naive stealing all the horses moment. No. But we also don't get Hopper's death. Yeah. So justice for Hopper. Yeah. See. We don't know who Hopper is in the snow. No, we don't. Because he can't talk to wolves yet. Nope. And I feel like that'd be weird to convey on screen. It would be. They're going to have to do it eventually. Yeah. We'll see. Something I think that's going to happen next episode that's going to happen way, way sooner than it happens in the, in the books. I think Mac gets healed next episode. He has the dagger. He's in Tarvalin. Yeah. It'd be it, weird if he wasn't healed. Is since, you know, that's one of kind of one of our recurring segments. Is there any other things that you think are going to be happening next episode? I think they leave for Faldara, but that's partially just because of the number of episodes they have left. Yeah. Next episode is the Flame of Tarvalin. The episode after that's the Dragon Reborn. So they gotta go. Not the Dragon Reborn. It's maybe it is called the Dragon Reborn. No, we've already had the Dragon Reborn. That was what episode is it called? three. It's called something. I know from the synopsis that the dragon is revealed in Isn't episode it seven. The Eye of the World. No, that's episode eight. I don't remember what episode seven is called. We'll figure it out next week. Yeah, I might also. There's only three weeks left. But anyway, I think that I think Matt gets healed. I think that they leave for Tarbalan. I don't know if Matt goes with them. The dark along the ways is dark episode along seven. The ways. Okay, so it's the ways. Yeah. And then we get to what which means we'll get more loyal. Get more loyal because loyal's got to guide them through the ways. Yes. I cannot wait to see. I feel like that would be happening next episode. Is them talking about having to go through the ways? So we get to see. I guess next episode they're also going to talk about having to go to the eye. They haven't mentioned the eye of the world once. In a season based on the eye of the world, this they is what it. this is what had me confused about it. Like the the way they're structuring it, they're clearly bringing in stuff from later and themes from later. But so much of the actual content is the eye of the world, mm-hmm. and I'm very curious as to how, what they're putting in season two because. The Great Hunt has this problem where most of the book, I would say three quarters of the book, could be done in three or four, not three or four, two or three episodes. Yeah. 
But then the Battle of Falma is a season finale event. Yeah. Cause, like, they fight in the sky. They fight in the sky, and there's ghosts. Like, a, yeah, you... you... There's there's a horn. A legendary summon... artifact is used. It's it's a season finale event. Three so... three groups of people are warring. I know. Like... So like, how do you how do you do that? Do you just cut Foma entirely? Do you do you put blowing the horn somewhere else? Do you scale down Foma? Do you combine like I could see them potentially combining Foma with Tarwin's Gap, having somebody blow the horn at Tarwin's Gap. But if Mac gets healed next episode, and he's too weak to travel the ways. Who's there to blow the horn? Who yeah. blows the horn? How does Matt do it? How does Padden Fane steal the horn and the dagger? That could happen from Tarvalin, but because he's in Tarvalin, he is in Tarvalin. We get like glimpses here and there you, in the background. You hear a whistle, and I'm like, "Ooh, Padden Fane!" And then you see him, and yeah. then that's it. Yeah, it's great. That's what I think is going to happen. I, I I don't know what's going to happen in season two, but we're not there yet. We no, still have three not. more episodes, and I will hang on to all of them. Favorite moment? Loyal. Yeah. There, there, There's a lot that are about with Loyal, but like Loyal's introduction is really good. Yeah, I really like Loyal's introduction. And if I can just, my other favorite moment would be if the conversation between Stepan and Lan could happen in a vacuum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. <It's> <laughs> it kind of reminded me of the like one good episode from season eight of Game of Thrones. When they're all in the room and... And they're just drinking. They're drinking and, and then fucking Podrick sings. Uh, I still think about that. So do I. <laughs> it reminds me of that and it makes me excited because that was a good episode in season eight of Game of Thrones. And this was not the best episode of season one. Yeah. And it's still a pretty damn good episode. Got my fingers crossed. So, ship updates? Are there any? I mean, Lan and Eve are not talking right now. No, they're not. But that's because it's sad time. Well, and, you know, she heals him, and... What so... happened in the month? <laughs> there was a month that went in between Nynaeve being heard... a healing explosion, and now. We heard, because, you know, Moraine asks Lan after, like, we... we see one month later, and the first thing that happens after one month later is Moraine asks Lan, do you think she's ready for what's going to happen at Tarvalon? He's like, hell if I know. She's like, she eats every night at the warder's fires. He's like, doesn't talk. she doesn't talk to me. Oh she's God, there for Steppen. It's like, common. okay, yes, I think she's partially there for Steppen, but also she's there for you. Yeah. Anyway, Lan, get your head out of your ass. Yeah. This is the get your head out of your ass Lan moment because he's already started to have the being in love with me isn't a good idea. Yeah. Just want to... So, so no ship updates. It's the same Lan Eve as always. <laughs> it's the same Lan Eve as always. There's not really any prophecies. No. This episode was called Blood Calls Blood, which refers to a prophecy from book two, but no prophecies are present. There hasn't been any prophecies in this whole season, Not, like, really. given. Which just, is why we mentioned. haven't really had a yeah. recurring segment of prophecies, because we also haven't met Min. Haven't met Where Min. is Min? I think she's in Faldara. Okay. Because she was in, she's cast for this season, right? She is cast I need to season. see Min. Yeah. Rating. What would you rate this episode? I think, I think a 12. Okay. I think... Last episode was a 14. One through three averaged out to an 11. So 12. Okay. I, I think I would maybe put this at like, maybe like 11 and a half. I think it was slightly strong. Like it was about as strong as episode three, which I thought was really good. So I want to put it a little higher because episode three was brought down because I rated it with episodes one and two in mind. Well, I think that's... I feel like you rated it either 11, 11.5 yeah. or one through three. So yeah. putting so it at... It's, it's about there. Quite good. Not as not as for fun me, as episode four for me, but still really good. And I, I think it it's not the strongest episode in the season. That'll be episode four probably. But the season would not be as good without it. Yeah. And I think for me, it's just better than one through three, taking even into account that because, you know, they didn't create a character just to have her husband kill him. True. So, or kill her. So. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't happen. Nope. It did not. So this was episode five. Blood calls blood. Again, no prophecies. Next episode, episode six, The Flame of Tarvalin. Which means we get swan. Swan, swan and fishing. That's all that episode is. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.